And then from doing the first few star trails in the backyard, because I was too frightened to go off by myself in the, in sort of the dark somewhere. Hey, Weekend Hunters, welcome back to the Art of Photography podcast, where we share our passion for photography and share how it gives us hope, purpose, and happiness in our life. So today we have, um, we're going to talk about astrophotography, and um, we have someone very special. Um, he is one of my inspiration when I started photography. Um, actually, there's a, a few peoples in Perth that really got me into photography and he was one of them so i'd like you to welcome michael go how's it going michael hi stanley i'm doing well or actually i'm doing tiredly i suppose if that's actually <laughs> even word. i'm always a bit tired uh i'm reasonable there you go hey <laughs> are you thanks, always thanks tired for having because, me on are you always tired because you're always out at night and shooting like the stars yeah. is that why uh, no, I'm tired frequently because of that, but I'm tired for many other reasons as well, is that I think in this last week, I've, I've shot seven to 10 events at the moment as well. So therefore, uh, I'm just basically doing, I suppose, photographing maybe an event in the morning and an event, come back quickly, change gear, and then head back out to photograph a, an awards night or something at the moment. And then it's all the post-process whoops, sorry, my, my camera every now and then will freeze up. <laughs> and then it's basically post-processing and delivery to clients within, uh, fairly quickly. And then still planning for when I'm going out because I actually have quite a lot of projects on at the moment which will require me to head out possibly anywhere between uh, a few hundred to maybe a thousand kilometers basically at this point of time for time-lapsing. Oh wow! So, what what sort of project is it? Is it is it like more like a personal project, or is it um, a project that you're doing for someone else? Uh, these are there's a combination of it because the uh, there are personal projects which you have to do your personal projects, uh, and I'll get to that in a moment. But the these are projects for uh, I suppose tourism basis, and also for a documentary on astronomy in Western Australia, which I'm a, a member of the project team for. That's amazing. Uh, but you need to always be having your personal projects. I actually discovered, sorry, I'll, I'll go off on tangents because I'm a tangential sort of person, That's is that right. uh, I discovered over the last few years is everyone says, hey, look, have you got this footage or that footage? Or, uh, and you need to be building up your own personal library for all these things for when clients or people need it. Because I, I had a project earlier this year and they actually asked me, hey, have you got the Pleiades as a time lapse? And I said, well, if you asked me three weeks ago, the answer would be, yes, I can go and get that. But unfortunately, because the stars don't care about what our time frames are, it was actually too late to actually time-lapse it anymore. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, the hilarious. universe doesn't care. We have to fit in with the universe. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. So, uh, well, we, we kind of jump just jump right in there straight away to your project. But um, usually I want to ask you to introduce yourself and what, um, you know, what, um, what sort of photography you do and um, just share um, with us a little bit more about yourself um, that, you know, the listener might be interested in. Okay, of course, my name is Michael Goh. Uh, I am now a full-time photographer. Uh, I actually only went into full-time photography a few years ago, although I've been photographing astrophotography for about eight years now, I think. 
it's a little bit blurry. My, you know, everything blurs into one after a while. Uh, I get to uh, do a wide variety of photography. So I do commercial photography. I do a lot of event photography, video, aerial. Uh, I do your Google 360 photospheres. Um, of course, your landscape. I, when I, sorry, often my tangent again. When I do event photography, I like calling myself John Wick because you dress in black and you shoot everyone. <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, and I also do, of course, astrophotography, uh, both in terms of your skills and your time lapses. It tends to be more of your landscape astrophotography rather than your DSO at the moment, although it is in my plans to do DSO in the next year, basically. So explain to us a little bit, um, what is DSO for the listener who, you know, might not be familiar with that? Okay, DSO is deep sky objects. So you're, you're photographing your distant galaxies and uh, I suppose your, your distant nebula and, and, and clusters, uh, your distant celestial objects. I've actually more or less leaned more towards the landscape photography rather than the DSO in the past because uh, the landscape astrophotography connects you with your landscape, with, your, with where you are. So in my opinion, it's always been, I suppose, lends you to being a little bit more creative in that regard. Yeah. Um, and also, off on an aside, is that I've found this was not the purpose of the landscape photography, but landscape photography also lends more to your, your I, I suppose, appeal for tourism purposes. Because a lot of a lot of regions and so on say, look, we we want to have, uh, I suppose, say how good this place is for uh, for stargazing and astrophotography. But if you're photographing, say, the Orion Nebula, it's got nothing. It's got no connection to where you are. So do you do you do more a landscape astrophotography because it is um, it is more I suppose like sellable or do you find it more interesting to do more landscape photography because of the dynamic um, of the landscape and how you can, you know, combine them with the stars? More of the latter. Uh, the, the sellable side of things just happened. Uh, I, I don't believe in photographing unless you're commissioned to do a particular photo shoot. I don't believe in basically going out to, to do it because it's sellable, but that's just basically been an end result. You know, a, a, an additional thing that's come out. It's just that I suppose I love seeing the, the fantastic landscapes around us and, and basically combining it with the stars. So what what got you into Except when it includes sheep. So, sorry? <laughs> Except when it includes sheep. <laughs> so what, what got you into astrophotography? Why astrophotography? Okay, I suppose this, uh, I'll go back a little bit further than that, sorry, because the, uh, there's a, a long story about the photography in the first place. One, yeah, I, we, right we, we, I originally only got my first DSLR maybe about uh, 11, 10, 11 years ago now, uh, because we drove across Australia and, we, and on the way back we thought it wouldn't be nice if we had uh, better, better photos. And then it basically, uh, I photographed on professional mode for a while, P for professional. Uh, and I actually did my first long exposure la landscape photo by accident. I said, oh, wow, isn't this great? And of course, nowadays I go, oh my God, that's just so average. <laughs> but, the, uh, but then I saw the fantastic work of a photographer called Corey White, 
she's a photographer based in the UK, she does drop collisions. So when you've got one drop hitting another drop and then another drop and it basically spreading out, opened up my mind to thinking, hey, look, you can photograph a lot more than what you can see with the eye. And then that led me down the path of wanting to photograph other things that you can't actually readily see with the eyes. And then that led me to my first star trail, which was from my backyard. So that was my first dip into astrophotography. Uh, and the reason why I wanted to do star trails is I, I thought, I can't remember where I originally saw it, but I thought, oh, that looks fantastic. Uh, and I've always been, I suppose, a science fiction fan, being Star Wars, Star Trek, and, and so on, Battlestar Galactica and the like. So therefore, that was the interest in space. And then from doing the first few star trails in the backyard, because I was too frightened to go off by myself in the ends of the dark somewhere, I photographed my first Milky Way at about two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning, about 50 kilometers north of Perth by the side of the road. I quite literally drove to a location, hopped out and said, okay, this is going, this is where it's going to be and photograph and, and pop there went my first Milky Way photo. Wow. And then it just kind of went on an insane path after that, because as you, as you know, the astrophotography can be a little bit addictive. And then it was just experiment after experiment and it just kept on growing bigger and bigger. So it's that's really cool like that's really cool to hear that um i'd, I'd like to check out um what was her name cory the, the uh, cory white Ori yeah. white okay I, got, I really have to check that out um because that sounds interesting yeah. but yeah like um that's 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 good thanks for sharing with us um that's uh, that's good to hear kind of the origin of astrophotography for you um so in terms of um you just said earlier, like, you know, it, it, it can be scary and intimidating to go out at night on your own, especially when you just start it. Um, how did you overcome that to begin with? And how did you, I suppose, get used to it and be okay with it, you know, just being alone in the middle of nowhere when you can't see anything? I, I suppose it was, uh, there was a little bit of suck it. <laughs> You just you just go out and, and deal with it. Admittedly, the first few times I did astrophotography driving off into the dark, I actually thought of uh, that, hey, look, the Milky Way only rises at two o'clock in the morning. And I thought, gee, this is going to be a bit of a hard effort doing doing getting up at two o'clock in the morning every time to photograph the Milky Way. That was before I knew about Milky Way season and so on. Uh, the so Initially, for the first couple of years, probably, I think I just drove out and then photographed and I quite literally drove back the same day or same night as the case may be. And then it was eventually I went off and did overnight trips as well. Uh, so I, I suppose I wasn't, there was a little bit of intimidation to go out by yourself completely. Um, and photograph these things. I suppose earlier on, I, I used to, apart from the first couple of times, which basically was, like I said, just getting up and driving out at midnight or two o'clock in the morning, is that later on, I actually took a friend out with me who's not a photographer. So a friend of mine, Stuart, he'd actually just sit in the car and wait for me while I'd be doing Star Trails. Oh, and wow. you know, what a two friend. hours later, <laughs> it's a good friend. Uh, so it wasn't terribly interesting for him because he'd quite literally just be waiting for me in the dark. 
and then later on it was it was basically just driving out by myself and it was just building up my confidence of, of going out by myself because uh, I, I think quite uh, when I started doing astrophotography as well, I didn't actually know any other photographers. Um, it was it was it was actually quite a few, uh, I think a year or so later, which I actually started bumping into other photographers and joining, I suppose, camera groups to actually meet other people. In which case, then all of a sudden you had little mob scenes and so on, where, where you've got groups of people, uh, everyone parked around you for your astrophotography because no one wants to go off and look for their own compositions. Uh, so. Uh, I think it was just slowly building up that confidence. And now I quite literally will go out and camp or be on the back of my truck and sleep on the tailgate of my truck uh, at times, depending on the location and photographing through the night. That's, that's, that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, that was, it, it, it was the same for me. I actually afraid of the dark. So um, I don't know how I got into astrophotography, actually. I need to kind of think really dig, dig deep on, you know, how I overcome that fear. But um, yeah, um, and I'm sure many people out there, not only, you know, just the dark, but um, the whole safety, right? It's um, especially if you're, um, if you're on a, a foreign land or, you know, a, a place that you kind of never been to it's it, it can be intimidating like for example here in canada we got um the bears is apparently still still up but like they're not hibernating yet so that's like another thing in there so what sort yeah. of um, I, I suppose sorry i'll just jump in a little bit more is that sometimes yeah. still in the dark you go what the heck am i doing out here uh because you'll hear strange noises or or i was actually at a, at a location which i hadn't been before so I'd actually injured my back while I was out there. And of course, when you injure your back or, or injure yourself in any way, you're going, oh, all the other thoughts come into your mind and you go, why am I out here in the middle of the night? Because you're basically balancing on, on, on surfaces which aren't all that great to be out there. So therefore, you, your mind starts playing tricks on you with all the strange noises that you hear. Uh, I, was, I saw a post from someone recently that there were wild dogs around where they were. And so they decided to retreat from where they were because they were on the side of a cliff. You don't want to be scared basically <laughs> to fall off the side of a cliff. And nowadays as well, I actually carry uh, CB radios, a personal locator beacon. Right. And I'm about to start carrying abseiling equipment as well just to, to tie myself off to the things where, if I need to. I bought myself a, a little climbing ladder recently as well. Not that I want to be climbing things in the middle of the night, like uh, like some photographers I know <laughs> who have fantastic photos of them climbing cliffs in the middle of the night. Um, but yeah, the safety is always paramount in terms of like you scout your location before it gets dark so you know where you are. And I've also got a uh, handheld GPS so I can actually find my way in the dark. That's that's awesome. Thanks for bringing that up. Actually, you know, it's 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 really good to to tell that to the listeners because although I feel like a lot of that fear is just it's not true. It's always good to be prepared. And you're you're right. You know, um, especially when you're out there by yourself. When you start it, it's good to bring a friend, you know, because you kind of just get into it. But even if you've done it for a while, you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, bringing a radio or a um, self-locating beacon can actually save you life. So that's that's a really good point that you bring up there. Um, 
But one thing that I want to ask you is that, um, you know, all this fear that you had um, when you're about to kind of start this journey, you know, before you kind of get used to it, um, do you find that a lot of those fear are just in your head or is it actually a lot of them are uh, 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 like a, a real fear that you just haven't come across with yet? I think majority of the time is in my head uh, because I'm quite comfortable most of the time of being out in the dark now, except I'm still not fond of being out in the dark at the side of a cliff. <laughs> Because uh, I'm not, I'm not a great fan of heights either. But uh, I used to be an abseiling caving trip leader many years ago. Oh. But <laughs> I'm not fond of, of heights and not fond of frequently of the dark. But having said that, is that you do sometimes hear stories of, say, there. Uh, I know a, a story a number of years ago when someone was photographing, uh, and then someone turned up with a shotgun. Wow. Uh, and it was actually just a farmer who was curious and alerted, you know, felt concerned that there was strange lights at the location, I'm assuming. So you do have, think, you do think about that. Um, most of the time, I'm actually more worried about other people as there's gear security and my security based on, on if some strange person comes up and, and you meet people in the middle of the night and you go, why are you out here in the middle of the night? So it's more of that rather than, hey, I'm going to have a, a, a uh, a physical threat of other sorts from animals, uh, especially since I've got the GPS. And because going back to my caving days, I usually go out with multiple light sources. So you you look at your redundancy. So I've got my headlamp, I've got handheld torch, and I've got another light source as well, just in case everything goes wrong. In addition to the GPS, which drops breadcrumbs, so I can actually quite literally walk back to where I, I follow the exact trail of where I came from. Yeah, that's that's really good um, to hear. Um, I think you know having that contingency is really important, and um, that breadcrumb that you mentioned is really really paramount because there's so many times where I've you know gone hiking, and then if it wasn't for the breadcrumb, I would have like you know it probably would taken me a lot longer to get back, if not lost altogether. So especially in the dark, it's it's crazy, isn't it? In the dark, like the amount of things you can see there. Uh, but one thing that really scares me in Australia is the, the snakes because um, I had a really close encounter with the snakes in um, um, in North uh, in Gibb River Road um, in Mitchell Falls. So that was really scary. Um, it, it just sneaked up on you. Uh, luckily, it was like more a mature one. Um, but let's go back a little bit. I guess um, I, I got so excited. We just um, go right off. Um, your, you call your photography astrophoto bear. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where does that come from? You know, like <laughs> give us, give us a little bit like uh, origin of that. Okay. This is the bear. Uh, okay. Many years ago when, when it, the, the bear actually came, came up is um, I used to be a bank manager. Uh -huh. And as a, uh, I'm, I'm actually, while I can talk for hours about about things and so on, I'm quite open with saying that uh, was it oversharing information. <laughs> the the um, working in the bank, you always you always concerned about your privacy and everyone else's privacy. So therefore, I did not actually want to have an online profile with just my name as such. 
So for many years, people didn't even, there wasn't actually photos of me on the on public media either. So what happened was the, uh, so I was just thinking, well, you know, when your social media platforms came on, you're thinking, hey, what sort of, what sort of uh, title do you want to have? And because I was photographing a lot of Astro stuff, I wanted to have Astro in there. Uh, and then this bear was actually celebrating 100 years of flight and it was actually released on, I think it was my birthday. Uh, and I saw it in the shop and I thought, okay, I'll buy that. And going back a little bit further as to why it has to come with flight is I used to be a online World War II uh, uh, squadron leader. Oh, wow. So uh, many years before then as well. So therefore, that's, that's, I used to have the, the hands-on throttle stick, the, uh, the little track IR system. So when you move your head, it basically shift the, the point of view within them on the monitor as well. And we'd fly World War II planes all over the place and shoot things. So that was the connection to the, why the, the flight thing was important to me. Uh, but there was already an Astro Bear as a brand. I think it's a clothing brand in the UK or something. So I didn't choose that. So I thought, well, I'll just create Astro Photo Bear. And it just, and that's basically how it happened. And so therefore, it wasn't Michael Go online or anywhere. It was basically Astro Photo Bear. But then the, the bear basically got more of a, uh, more of a brand than I did. So it basically just, it just stuck. So at the moment, I'm actually doing a little bit of a rebrand. The Astro Photo Bear staying for the Astro stuff, but I need to, because of course, when commercial clients are finding you for the first time, they go, where's this bear coming from? <laughs> <laughs> so you actually need to be a little bit more professional at times as well. So it is basically running your multiple brands. So I actually need to have a Michael, just a straight Michael go or, or something like that. I actually thought of when going through the rebranding, I thought, uh, uh, because I think uh, portrait photographers, event photographers tend to be quite extroverts, uh, introvert landscape photographers tend to be more your introverts and astrophotographers are way out there in the introvert side of things because you're out by yourself all the time. So I thought as a brand name for the introvert using my surname, it was go away photography. It's <laughs> so cool, go away photography. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really funny because I, I, I think I'm a little bit more of extrovert, but I do get like, I do love it. Like when I go out there in the middle of nowhere and just, you know, have that quietness, it's, it's like, yeah, it's like a meditation or it's, it's just so serene, you know, like it's as if you're on your own world and the world problem doesn't exist. That's yes. it's, um, it's, it's always so cool to hear, um, to be out there, but there is such a funny story to hear um, about Astro Photo Bear. Cause when I first um, came across to your profile, it was the Astro Photo Bear. And I was like, what? It was like, and then I saw the photo and just like, wow, I want to be able to take photos like that. And um, do you have like an inspiration from like, you know, astrophotography side of things or um, you kind of just develop that, um, that style on your own? Um, it pretty much all came, came by itself. Um, I'm not sure if, I don't know if there was any specific form of inspiration. And I know it sounds terrible is that uh, I tend to be to shoot frequently with my blinkers on a bit because ultimately I just, I've got a, a, a giant list of, I think more than 100 things that I need to photograph on my projects list at the moment. 
of I want to do this, this, I want this under this sort of situation. So of course you, you see things online and so on every now and then, and, and you don't want it to, uh, I suppose, create too much of a, of, uh, I mean, while, while it can help create some ideas and say, Hey, that's a great idea for me to try out is that I've, my brain's overflowing with stuff at the moment anyway. So if you actually put too much that's from every all the other sources in there, then it may, might start overwhelming it. And, and it, I, I won't quite say contaminate it, but it basically, if you, I've got too many things on, on the go as it is basically <laughs> to, to want to, uh, to specifically imitate anyone else or, or create or be inspired by anyone else. I mean, the, the, like the, uh, I suppose, distant lands, I suppose the originally, originally when I photographed with the figure with the light in, in his hand and so on, that was, that was actually, um, because something else failed miserably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Originally, I, I, I did actually see some, some work by uh, another photographer. I just can't quite remember which one it was because I don't want to accidentally credit the wrong photographer for, for the thing that didn't work of mine. I think it was a photographer that I am connected to and he did a teleporter photo. So he did like your, a spinning lights photo, oh, yeah. uh, like your Star Trek teleporter thing. Uh-huh. And I... I back then i thought wouldn't that be cool to do as a panorama <laughs> but then i found out as a panorama for example it's a little bit difficult to do that because you the consistency of the light just won't work as a panorama because you're twirling the light around so it's going to be different in every single scene so the uh so i suppose if you, if you think because i also did some book covers back then as well is that you create a uh and i did an awful lot of flash work, which actually came from Corey White stuff with the flash photography with the, the drop collisions. So I actually just replaced it with, hey, look, if I just hold the light out and you do the photo from the behind. Uh, so it, it actually puts you in that position as, a, as like on the cover of a book is that people put themselves into that position basically as, as the figure in the, in the scene. Um, and that was actually just, stuff that i suppose that just came out that's yeah, um and i i suppose so in the scheme of things i guess book covers and so on like just looking at your magazine covers or watching movies i like saying now that i can watch net sorry i think i just froze from it i like saying hey i can watch movies now and strictly speaking that's research <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in, in a roundabout sort of the way that you know, I, I, I guess there's we are, I suppose, a sum of our experiences. So, while I'm not specifically chasing inspirations and so on, it just all flows together in there. Uh, I guess also, um, this year, more than, more than previous years, inspiration has actually come from client requests. So uh, client requests actually has said, hey, look, can you photograph this or, or time lapse this? And you go, oh, hang on, but I can do this and this and this and this as well uh, in terms of what other things flow into your head, basically, when clients actually ask you to do things. I, I never would have thought of, of time lapsing some of the objects which I'm chasing now uh before they actually said, can you do this? And I said, well, I don't know. I haven't done this before, but who knows? Let's, let's just see how it goes. And because of the projects which have been on the go, 
is that it's made me learn. I mean, I'm definitely not. I'm definitely an amateur still on this side of things. Is that I'm actually learning more about astronomy itself, not just photographing the stars, but learning about astronomy, and also learning about Aboriginal astronomy as well, because the projects of which I've been on have been highly geared towards the Aboriginal astronomy and the the cultural aspect of 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 the sky, not just saying this is epic. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> is actually saying, look, hey, look, that's uh, this is a story of the emu in the sky, or, or you know, about an, an echidna, or the eagle, or, or any of the other objects, and uh, I suppose features. And there's just so much information out there; it's just quite overwhelming at times. You just take a step at a time. Yeah, that's uh, totally. I, I think I'm on the same boat in terms of learning the astronomy. I would love to kind of learn more about it, but it's just so many things in there. Um, but like, you know, that, that holding the light thing, that, that was, I really loved that. And, um, w- when I saw that it was, it's just become an inspiration and it becomes like, a uh, uh, it goes into the library of things that I could use on different condition. Um, I particularly love it when there is a lot of trees around you cause it will create like a, a halo kind of yeah. thing or a big plane. Um, so you know, your, your work, um, you do a lot of panoramas and you do crazy panoramas as well, isn't it? You do like what, 30, 35 mil shot? Like, um, I think the, like the one I did just recently was about 180 image panel, panorama. 180 image, wow. I mean, it took a while. And, I mean, there was no <laughs> stacking on that as well. It's just quite literally photo next to each other. Um, there's actually an, an interesting story about the panoramas as well is that the panoramas came around because I was shooting a, a crop sensor lens on my full frame camera. And you know that, hey, uh, the center of the part of each frame uh, when you're doing uh, uh, of each photo is actually your sharpest part. So as a crop sensor lens on the camera, on the full frame camera is all the lens defects were coming out around the edges so I thought well in the scheme of things if you do a panorama you're just using all the central bits so therefore the image quality will be better it'll look better basically interesting and is that why you is that why you do a lot of panorama that's that's how it originally started and then uh-huh. it just kind of got carried away with that as well so do like you many things with astrophotography <laughs> so do you actually oh look where's all my money gone <laughs> Oh, it's it's uh it's it's so funny because the gears never stop. Uh, it's just the the backpacks get heavier, and then you just notice you need a bigger backpacks. <laughs> um, so, um, okay, coming back to the panorama. Um, do you actually like um the panorama compared to the normal single image, or? Um, I suppose I like the panorama because the it. It just seems to look more epic in terms of you, you like covering the the whole band of the Milky Way core. I mean, uh, and also as a larger image is that the stars actually get smaller. Oh, okay, yeah. So, nice. pardon me. So therefore it, it basically uh, creates, I suppose, more definition in, in the nebulosity of the sky. And then also with the panoramas as well. Mm, pardon me. Right. Um, 
I, I guess it just creates has more in my mind a little bit more cre uh, possible creativity sides of things to it. I mean, I do do your singles ones, and then I, I I rarely actually stack images, but I will stack from time to time just to say, hey, look, this is what happens if you stack. Um, but I like doing the the, the large panoramas because it just feels more epic, basically. Yeah. I've I, the the one thing the one reason why I do well I won't say one reason but one of the reason why I do panorama is just I like to put the um, the viewer perspective where I was it's like you know like look this is what I was seeing that night and you know not many people um, especially with astrophotography right have that um, have that chance to go out there and see that kind of view so. And that was always amazing for me to be able to kind of show people it's like, oh yeah, there was this on that side, there was this on that side. And um, when I saw your photo, I was like, wow, like you just put that, you know, the Milky Way and having you as the um, center subject inside the photo so well. I was just like, wow, I got to take photos like that. So um, actually one of the Boab tree that I took, um, um, one of the early one was um, inspired by that. It was like, I saw your photo with, um, you know, you holding the flash and then the Milky Way right around it. And I was like, I want to take a, a photo of the boil tree. And I was like, how do I make this interesting with the Milky Way? And I was like, oh yeah, I could just, you know, have it panorama and curve around the top. So that was, it was, that's probably one of my favorite shot um, I've ever taken. So mm -hmm um all right well man that was like yeah that's that's great to hear um i want to go back on on a strange tangent yeah no worries <laughs> sorry I, I know this is way out of sequence because i know that a while ago you said why astrophotography as well is that ultimately it it has evolved for me okay because ultimately um it's also gone from uh, apart from the the sensation of feeling you know you're you're your humility against the, the massive backdrop of the universe is that it's also has helped with, I suppose, promoting STEM because people get interested in, in space and the stars at that point of time. So interest in your science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and so on also has massive benefits for things like your, your mental health because of that feeling, or I suppose of, of yourself against it. Well, not against, but with the universe. And also it has actually been helping with tourism to areas, which ultimately then helps with the mental health, the economies of various places. So it has actually evolved in terms of how the, the I suppose, the reason in behind astrophotography as well. Well, you know, go, going back to um, Australia, especially, um, I think that I could see how that could be a, a big impact to the community. Because, you know, like for example, right here in, in, uh, in the Rockies, the mountains were so stunning that you don't need the you know the night sky but you know the back in australia especially western australia a lot of the places are flat right um you know you got this really cool interesting features that most people would notice like you know the salt lake that you take photo of that you know the crack on the on the on the ground and um the trees that kind of like um, you know, one of your photo with the, the trees that kind of like just merging to, towards you that that was, you know, those kind of things really, um, I think those kind of thing would really invite people to come out at night, isn't it? And that's, that's how it kind of helps the tourism industry back in Australia. Is that right? Yeah. 
the because uh, there's so many places to go see we're always so focused on a to b but we don't see everything in between so that there's all these other things around basically that, that that's out there i am missing mountains though it's been quite a number of years since i've gone to see any mountains because as you as you said the wa is pretty flat uh i mean we've got some great skies and, and fantastic locations but uh, I think I do know, need to get out and, and see some mountains again as well, because mountains can, are epic in themselves, basically. Yeah, no. Just as long as you're not on the edge of a cliff of a mountain in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, it's just totally different, different things to take photo of. And I think um, what you say there, it was totally correct, because I, I, I drove around Australia, right? And one of the things that I noticed was that you know exactly what you say we often go to that places that are popular and established but actually especially in western australia the places that you that is hard to get to that you know only uh, that you need four-wheel drive man it, like once you get there it's just unbelievable sure you're like surrounded by the bushes and the dirts but it's just unbelievable it's 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 amazing landscape so um yeah well um um, just looking at the time here, um, what um, I want to hear more. <laughs> I, I want to hear more about that 180 um, panorama. Um, how do you take them, and why 180? You, you know, why not just use a, a thir- um, 16 millimeter lens and just have probably 14 max? So uh, the, the 180 image panorama was because I wanted to shoot at 35 mil because I was going, oh, I've got this new lens. <laughs> so I wanted to photograph the whole thing at 35 uh, and, and do the panorama. So I was shooting on a, of course, photographing that sort of panorama takes a long time, especially if you want to do things like your 30 second exposures. So I was on a, a tracking mount. I was on this uh and because of the weight of the camera, I wanted I use the uh, Skywatcher Star Adventurer as, as because of the weight with with the mount with the panorama head with the camera on, on top. Uh, I suppose was that is that a shameless plug? Because <laughs> yeah, they they sent me the sky the star uh, sky watcher star adventurer too. <laughs> So the uh, as the panorama, I basically wanted to do your longer exposures, and it basically it brings out more detail within the stars because you're shooting at the longer focal length. I haven't tried doing it 85 mil or anything like that for a massive panorama. Uh, a friend of mine has been doing panoramas at your 85 mil space. Damn! Wow. Uh, but ultimately, I just wanted the more uh, more detail in the stars, which basically means that the larger stars, I mean, all the stars look smaller and the noise looks smaller as well. Uh, so it was just wanting to fill it up as much as possible. I actually, the reason why I was 180 is actually because I wanted to do, I actually took enough capture to do a whole 360 photosphere out of it as well. Uh, and then it basically, you crop it in to say, hey, look, this is the usable working space. I think it, the image ended up being about before cropping, you know, even after cropping, I think before I shrank it down to a size I could actually fit in my Lightroom catalog, it was about 40,000 pixels wide or, or could have been larger than that as well. 
but yeah, I just like the greater detail, but I do it manually as well. So apart from being on the, on the tracking mount, I actually click it uh, on the pano head. So I click it one, at, one stop at a time uh, to cover the whole sky. Uh, I suppose I could actually just put an automated system up and actually just press the button and let the tracking mount do uh, with, you know, like your gigapans and so on, to let them just do the whole thing while I go to sleep in a corner somewhere. But I, I just prefer to do it manually. Uh, there was a point of time which I did, I think it was a 64 image panorama, which had clouds rolling through quite rapidly at the same time as the moon was setting. And I actually did think to myself, hey, um, I'm a little bit worried that I won't be able to do it in time. Uh, let me just actually have a look. Is that, um, sorry, I'm just going to go the, oops, no, hang on. Don't want to share that one. I want to share this one. So if you see this one here, this one was about a 60, 60 something image panorama. And you can actually see that the clouds were actually moving quite quickly. And normally I'd actually just methodically do row after row. But this time I actually started off at the bottom. By the time I got to here, I said, hang on, the clouds are moving too quickly. So I actually started doing the top section here to make sure I got the core and then working backwards and actually just doing like a random path throughout the whole thing. And I was actually quite fortunate that I didn't actually miss any, any panels in it because the, uh, uh, that was my greatest concern after putting it all together. It actually stitched almost perfectly after I put it together. Really? I, yeah, I would have so, thought, because I tried um, in the past um, with the with the clouds in it. Um, great photo, by the way. Um, but I tried once with the cloud and it just struggled to stitch it together because, um, you know, the cloud moving so quickly, it doesn't, uh, it, it failed to create reference point between one and another. The, um, actually, I'll just share another quick screen. Uh, this one was the 180 image panorama. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I did actually try something else while I was there, doing this one as well, but uh, I, I actually, uh, I work hard on being lazy. <laughs> uh, so I actually decided not to proceed with the experiment I was doing. I, I, I did play around with the experiment and I said, no, that's not really working. So you record and you say, well, I'll try it again in the future doing something slightly differently uh, next time, basically. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been to that place. It's a beautiful place to shoot with the Milky Way there. Yeah. But the I suppose with the, the panorama stitches and so on is that I'm using as my primary panorama software, I'm using PGGUI Pro. That's mm. not a sponsored statement. <laughs> yeah. PGGUI Pro is that you can actually mask in where the image, I mean, after it stitches, you can actually mask in what you want to keep in the scene. So therefore you can say, hey, look, this cloud here, it basically, you can see the whole cloud in one panel but then you say, well, but when you stitch it across is that it's cut part of it off, but you can then mask in the bit that you want to keep from that one panel that's got all the cloud. So it, it makes it, the stitching process easier then as well. I mean, it, all, it put it all together, but then I just said, okay, I want to make sure that this is included and that's excluded, for example. And that also helps with the, uh, the panorama selfies as well, self-portraits, because 
if I wasn't using programs like PGGUI Pro, it might actually cut half of me off when it's trying to stitch. So therefore I'll paint in all of myself saying, I want to conclude all of me in the, in the final output. Awesome. So like, how often do you use the, um, the Lightroom panorama stitcher or um, Lightroom and Photoshop? How, how often does, you know, do you get success by using them or do you always use the PT GUI? Um, well, since I've got PT GUI Pro now, um, I think the last time I used Lightroom was, uh, as a panorama stitcher was probably about five years ago. <laughs> the uh, uh, I, I found it was fine for doing things like your single row panoramas and so on. But as soon as I went to your two row panoramas or or two, I think the that last one with the Carnarvon Space Center with the dish there, that I think that one was about five or six rows or uh, I can't quite remember exactly. But the um, as soon as you want to do your multi rows, it starts struggling quite severely. And it was actually one image that I took uh, a number of years ago, which, which prompted me to, to go to the, the I, I suppose, PT GUI Pro. Um, let me just have a, a quick look to see if I can find it. Uh, because when I, when I first put it together in, in using Lightroom as a, as a panorama software, it, it looked really bad. Because uh, I, I get uh, constructive criticism uh, from from someone I trust quite quite heavily. Uh, mind you, she doesn't actually give me any constructive criticism anymore. <laughs> says, oh wow, it's a fantastic image! But the uh, but I used to go to her quite frequently saying, "Well, what do you think?" And she actually said, "Well, there's something quite seriously wrong with it, basically." <laughs> and the um, and this particular image, which was actually using a crop sensor lens, this was my first. This was my first multi-row uh, panoramas, and it it didn't actually work at all using Lightroom. Is that the, the perspective just didn't work? And this is actually when I tried uh, a different format for your panorama stitching that created the, this sort of fisheye effect, and um, and then it worked. I know it looks very fancy sort of thing, but it actually, all those frames in the panel were actually there. I think it was a 13% luminosity moon. Uh, and then this one went off and won, I, I, I suppose, the, an award, ended up in newspapers and, and all, all sorts of things around the world. And that one was quite strange, really, because it, it just looks weird. <laughs> I, I quite like the perspective on that one. Um, I know because when you do panorama, it um, it it changed your perspective, right? Because um, you, you kind of um, try to flatten a 360, basically, or you know, a, a sphere, I suppose. So then you have that um, you have that effect on the on the photo, and um, I think that that works quite well on that one. It kind of frame the the Milky Way as well as the um, um, you know whatever that. Limestone is that? That's in. That's in. Um, that's up at the pinnacles. Pinnacles, right? Yeah. 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 So. And that um, particular photo, we weren't actually going to go either because it was actually raining probably about two hours before then. So the uh, it, the only reason why I went was my older brother actually came into Perth and said, "I want to go shoot photograph." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's not really great weather for it. And, and that's, I suppose, another thing as well, is that sometimes the better photos are actually when the conditions are not perfect. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I totally agree. The, 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 the weird condition um, gives you a really cool photo, but I know like sometimes you have a higher risk of not getting anything, um, but you also have, I suppose that whole, whole thing about, you know, high risk, high gain thing, right? Like <laughs> the more risk you, you, you put it out there, the more, um, the more gain you, you might get. So, man, that, that was awesome. Um, I love talking about this. Um, you know, there's so much that I could learn from you. Um, but um, coming on to the hour mark, um, and I want to, um, I want you to, I want to ask you to um, give an advice or two for the listener who um, been wanting to kind of shoot astrophotography or even just to give it a try. Um, what? what is the you know the easiest way to try um without having all this false belief telling you that you can't i i suppose the i guess that's exactly what you're saying there as well it's not but there is the false belief is that you can photograph the milky way now with some phones um when people say oh you must have good equipment for example i was like pointing towards uh, this photo here is it was quite literally it's a compact camera and I just set it down and took a photo of the Milky Way <laughs> I mean the only thing that this camera had was basically manual settings and it, I think the ISO it tipped out at, at was 3200 and the maximum shutter it could do was 15 seconds and it was an f2 2 camera I think Perfect. So, I think that's uh, I think that is gonna be a lot of push for people out there. You know that wait to get their five thousand dollars camera to shoot out there. Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry to um, interrupt you there. Yeah. So apart from just giving it a shot, is that ultimately your camera is most likely to be able to do something. You just need to go somewhere dark, and when you go somewhere, is try a variety of things out, because while everyone's comfortable with the idea of shooting. I mean, when I started photographing astrophotography, it was very formulatic, uh, if that's even a word. You're saying F2.8, uh, 30 seconds, ISO 1600, don't go above 1600. Uh, and all of a sudden, I, I mean, sometimes I shoot uh, 12,800 or even higher, depending on how I feel. But I mean, I generally speaking, like going a little bit lower than that and using your, your tracking mounts because you, you do have your signal signal to uh, noise ratios and so on you do start losing stuff after a while but is try a number of things take a number of images so you can do things like you're stacking later on to experiment with things it's great as an experimental sort of uh, of uh medium you can experiment with all sorts of things you don't have to go ultra wide you can go longer focal length it will just have a different look that's all there's so many things you can experiment with with astrophotography uh, there was something else that just floated into my head, but of course, with, with astrophotography and, and many things, it floats into your head and back out of your head as well, <laughs> in terms of, I suppose, you're experimenting and, and trying things out. Uh, but yeah, it's just try many things out. Don't just rely, get uncomfortable is probably the best way to, to say it with your astrophotography. Do things that you wouldn't normally try to do. Shoot at ISO 26,000, whatever, 
just try things or 25,000, whatever, just try things out. You might look at it later on and say that's, rub that's rubbish, but you tried it because most people don't go out. Most sorry, I'm just waiting for my camera to start working. Yet. Most people don't go out and photograph the uh, astrophotography every day. Um, I know I get paid for it, but <laughs> most people don't go out and do it every day. So it's get as much data as you can as possible to experiment with, with things. And that's right. The and make sure you actually put down the camera later on. And I mean, it might be time lapsing or whatever, and just actually enjoy it. Because enjoying where you are, it helps you create, I suppose, uh, uh, lets you represent what you felt when you were out there as well. It's not just about saying, I need a great photo. It's actually saying, well, how, do, how does it make you feel? That is great advice, um, especially, you know, that last bit where you say, you know, um, how does that make you feel? That That is such a great advice there. Um, and... Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that is a uh, very powerful. Um, I think you know when I started astrophotography, it was quite intimidating with the, all the settings. But um, shooting in stars is the easiest um, thing you can do because the exposure doesn't change. It's always like that. You know, you you shoot sunset, it changes every time. But the stars always have the same exposure. So once you dial that in, it's it's all about experimenting to get that higher quality. So. You're, you're exactly right there. Well, thanks a lot, Michael, for, um, for joining us here. Um, and for those, um, for those uh, people who want to learn more about um, yourself and um, see more of your um, epic um, astrophotography, where is the best place for them to go? I suppose I'm being I'm terrible with social media, by the way, or even up website, website updates. And I know I'm about two years behind on my YouTube channel updates at the moment as well. But the, there's um, ultimately I'm on Astro Photo Bear on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, I've also also my website is astrophotobear.com. I've also created Michael go i think it was michaelgo.com.au recently as well because I, like i said i need to actually sound a little bit more professional but all that does is actually route you through to astrophotobear.com uh and i've actually been putting a lot more in the story side of things on social media rather than actually posting up because i've just been so busy so that's more of uh, but i do need to put up more on your behind the scenes because ultimately that's what i want to get across to people saying look this is what i'm actually doing to actually achieve these results to actually do these things and this is why things are happening that's awesome thank you very much michael and um yeah for you've seen how many of photos you shared it? i think three photos and they were all epic so highly recommend you to check out um you know some of his photos it's just so inspiring um definitely when i first got into photography i saw one of um, michael photo and i was just like yeah i want to learn how to take photo like that <laughs> so thanks a lot wiki hunters for um, tuning in and hopefully you get a lot of gem there in terms of astrophotography and it was so uh, so much interesting story from michael himself um so hopefully you enjoy that and let us know in the comment below if you do enjoy and what part of it you enjoy the most. And for those YouTubers out there, don't forget to subscribe on down here and then turn on that little notification button. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, 
that way you will know when I release a new podcast or a new video. Well, thank you very much for um, tuning in and I will see you next week. All right. Well, catch you later, Michael. Thanks a lot for being here. Thanks for having me.